inteiro me pudesse ouvir Tenho muito pra contar Dizer que aprendi Na vida a gente tem que entender Que um nasce pra sofrer Enquanto o outro ri Beats Ryan Types, episode number nine. Uh, this is MRB, and you've been listening to the sweet soul sounds of Tim Maia. It's a, a Brazilian singer. He sings in Brazilian Portuguese, and uh, the title of that song is Azul da Cor do Mar, which means the blue color of the sea. Beautiful song. I suggest you seek it and listen to the rest of it because there's some awesome surprises in there, and I'm heading to Brazil on Monday for the first time, so I decided I would play that song. I'm pretty excited about that. So I think today we're going to talk about magic, specifically magic in relation to programming. Maybe we'll touch on some food a little bit. MRB wrote a post a couple weeks ago criticizing or calling out some of the magical elements in uh, rails and specifically the inheritance of all these magical methods and features that you get kind of for free and kind of asking is that is that better than being explicit would you say that that was kind of the the thesis of that post yeah i think that's accurate uh it was intended to be provocative so that was kind of the stance that it took because i when you're writing uh, for the for the web, that I think is a good way to kind of capture an idea. Certainly, it's more subtle uh, in general than the post uh, makes it out to be. But I mean, it wasn't clickbait. It wasn't like you've inherited from active support, and what happens next will surprise you. <laughs> I wasn't saying it wasn't well reasoned. I was just saying that yeah, that that was. I guess I'm just trying to say there's more to there's more to it. To more of it to talk about than just kind of that one stance that it took. But yeah, yeah, definitely that, that captures the essence of it. I've often been a fan of very explicit programming uh, in general. And what happened was I was poking around in, in, my, in the code base for my dollar sign constant day job. And, uh, you know, I saw some code that used, that leveraged one of these inherited you know, question mark methods for people that don't know, basically in in the Rails world, the uh, which, you know, and Ruby is primarily an object-oriented programming language is mostly how people use it. And inheritance is a very common form of capturing and preserving and composing behaviors in the objects that you create. So anyway, you inherit from this very large base class, it's called, that the ORM provides, and you get all these methods for free. Some of them are, quote-unquote, for free. Some of them are, I find, useful, and some of them, I think, are just kind of harmful and silly. I think an interesting question is, does it come down to just, like, aesthetics, or is it actually harmful in the long run? What, what's, your, what's your take? What was your response when you, when you read that? I, I'm not, I don't disagree with you wholly, but I would definitely lean more towards favoring magic, I guess, and, and or not being afraid of it or not not having such a strong negative reaction to a lot of that stuff. I think mainly though that magical aspect of 
getting all that stuff for free and just being able to make use of all these extra methods that might not you might not use all the time but are just there are it's kind of one of the things that got me excited about ruby and rails in the first place was just this idea that you know through the magic of meta programming you can the program can infer a huge number of things without you having to tell it what you're doing and maybe it infers too much but the leaning on the too much versus the too little you just are able to be more expressive in some ways or I find sometimes more expressive and all of it is built around that idea of the principle of least surprise right and and trying to get it to the point where like you really can almost guess how to program with a, with the minimal amount of knowledge. I, f- I love that aspect of Ruby and I really like it, but I totally, I at the same time, I definitely see the point and definitely see when you could get tripped up or at some point the balance tips and it's like, do I really need these 150 methods on this object just to, just to do, you know, the simple thing of fetching a record from a database? Is that really necessary? Yeah, I mean, uh, the principle of least surprise stuff is worth bringing up because I I can't deny the power of that, especially for like new programmers to the programming language and to the frameworks in general. I think they have done a very admirable job making those kinds of experiences possible for a new programmer. Because I remember when I when I first started writing Ruby and then and writing Rails code, those times that I was able to kind of just like you know work my way through writing a you know medium to large amount of code and you know not really having to like jump into documentation because like i could kind of infer here and there how things should work and they ended up working that way that is a very that is a very powerful thing i guess to put a finer point on it what i noticed is that if you don't keep up with it it's very hard to like get back into it uh later right which you know and rails and ruby aren't really optimized for that kind of thing but it is something that i very i noticed very acutely right like i haven't been spending my time in a rails code base every day for a long time now and i you know was quite fluent in it and you know was very efficient um making stuff by the time you know at the peak of me like being involved day to day but now it took me a while to remember what was going on right you know everywhere from programming inside a model file to kind of how the pieces fit together and stuff that's something that is hard and the more of that you refer to it like the tipping of the scales thing right the more the scale is tipping in one direction, it seems like the harder it is to kind of boot back into, which seems almost counterintuitive. And maybe that's, maybe it's like a personal thing to me, right? Like you would think that if it's more expressive and easier to write and read, then you should be able to like click with it sooner if you walk away from it. But to me, it feels like you kind of start to notice the size a little bit more when you walk away from it a little bit. That was my personal experience. That's definitely true. And it's when I've worked with and trained and mentored people on a team and like tried to bring them from either some pro- other programming environment or a l- lack of experience in, in the Rails or Ruby world up to, you know, being a effective member of a team. The question that all, often come came up first is like, where's the definition for this method like that's always the part that like gets people it's like oh here's this method called alias method 
chain you know where does where is that where does that where is that defined and you're like uh well actually it's not even an active record base it's in this other module that's inherit that's included in active record base from active support and just google it you know <laughs> like or just just like look it up in the documentation and find the method and then find the de definition of it and assume that it's included in this thing and just assume that that method means what it says it does and i think that that's like a very challenging thing on both sides to to reason about like it was hard for me to just say that and with a straight face and be like this is this is this all makes sense don't worry about it and it was also hard for the person trying to learn to like get around that and get around that idea and so it is surprising when you find out i mean that's not least surprising that's well, that's pretty surprising when you find out how far diverged these methods are from from where where you're actually using them but I feel like there's this very fine path. And if you follow this very fine path, like very narrow path of actually having methods that are very clearly specified by the way they're named and the way they're structured and the method, the arguments that they take and always following a very clear convention around that, then yes, maybe it doesn't actually matter where they're defined because if you just assume that they work the way they say they do, then you can just go forward and be happy with that. But the second anything about that is at all not what you think it is, then you kind of fall off this path of like, oh, okay, if this doesn't work how I think it does now, does everything not work the way I think it does? And that's when it gets, I think, super confusing and super difficult to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis and i think that that you know you stepping away from it is kind of that moment when you like when you step away and come back you have to relearn the convention implicitly and then it's hard to redefine all those methods in your head without having to look them up everywhere and understand where they come from it's funny it's like you start having this conversation about you know, is magic good or is magic bad? And then it yada, yada, yada. You're talking about, is there anything better than Rails? You know, what else is there that can actually afford you that kind of expediency? Uh, and at what cost does it come, right? I mean, you have, you and I have both seen the, you know, the heart and soul of like the Rails experiment, right? And seen it play out. And have invested heavily in it, right? I mean, that that's like, you you know, you were for a long time in charge of making the decisions for a big company about what technology they should use, right? And that was the decision, you know, that was the decision you made. I think I would have definitely made the same decision. I would probably even make the same decision today, which is funny, but I'm curious about you. What do you think? Like, you know, let's say you, whatever happens and, you know, a magical thing happened where someone walks up to you and says, I'm going to put it all on the line and I'm going to start a new company. I have an idea. I think it's going to be a hit. And I just want to know from you because you're the, you know, you're the wise uh, guy at the top of the mountain, the, mo the, the mountain of pastrami. Um, <laughs> what, sh what technology, what technology should I use to power my startup.com? What would you say? Uh, I would say it depends probably, uh -huh. but uh, I mean, I think I've always tried to be really pragmatic and like, that's kind of my approach has always to tell, been to tell people that it depends like, and to really just 
think about what you're trying to do. But I would, I definitely would recommend Rails for anyone who is starting something and building something that they thought was like a web application and talk to a database and served HTML and JavaScript and stuff like that. That seems like a very, at least not only a very good application of it, but it's also like there are tons of people who know how to do that. And it's very practical. To be honest, like my dollar sign day job too, like we've grown from a very, very small to a very, very large team and daily usage and all of that. And Rails is, you know, I don't think that I think people blame it for being slow. But I what I always say is that, you know, it's not their framework is never your problem. It's always you and the, your code is 99% of the problem, 99% of the time. And even though I love Go and I love JavaScript and, you know, even though I haven't done a lot of Node and other JavaScript stuff in production, like all of those things are good. It's really just what you're trying to build. Like if you're, but, and most people are just trying to build a web application that talks to a database and serves HTML. And if you're doing that, then especially starting out, Rails is, I, without a doubt in my mind, like the best option for you. It's, I, even though it's magic and I've gotten bitten definitely by the, by the magic inside of it. And I've seen a lot of developers and really smart people get burned by some of the weirder points of it. I think that's just true of anything. It's just trade-offs, right? And there's no there's no system that you're going to build that's not going to share those trade-offs. They just might just be in different places. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good way of looking at it. What about you? I think I would probably say the same thing. Our friend uh our friend James Gollick used to say that the same stuff like, you know, Rails is not fast is like a pretty ridiculous thing to say. He would he would say, I think he leaned a little more heavily on the idea that, yeah, you, you kind of have to write the code in a certain way in order to, you know, make sure it's fast. That's true. Like you, you're saying the same thing, but sort of in different ways. And I agree. I mean, I think that there are compelling aspects of just saying, you know, maybe it's worth trying Java in 2015 as like a, you know, as a way, I don't really know what the actual like framework story is there. I mean, you could use JRuby and J and Rails, but I think that that's a little, that's an extra level of indirection that I think makes things a little bit challenging. It's the same thing that a lot of friends of mine who write Clojure say, where it's just like the JVM interop stuff is still kind of weird and it's hard to write app code in those languages if you don't really know Java. But Rails is a thing where, for me, even though uh, I'm not booted into it, you know, it's not all in my hot cache or whatever, when I want to make something new, it would be really easy for me to just do it in, in Rails. I, I think one mistake that we make, though, is we don't, and I know you have a lot of opinions about this too, is like, at what point should we think about, like, taking this Rails application that we know is like kind of teetering on the edge of being really complex, hard to find your way around, you know, over time, the ways that it interacts with the database and then your caching layer and like other services becomes kind of entangled. When should you do something about that? Is there like a point that you've identified that's like, okay, when this starts to happen, then you know, like, 
you know, you're in trouble and you should probably, you know, extract a service or take strategy X, Y, or Z. So what, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, that's a, I do have many opinions on this. I'm not going to cop out and say it depends again, but it definitely, I've in the past and would continue to caution people against the belief that services are going to save you. Basically, it's not, there's no way to build a service-oriented architecture or extract services from an an existing large application that's going to be a silver bullet. That's just not the case. Like, and I've, I've experienced that firsthand, but also heard many stories of people who are in that world and just get burnt by it. And obviously there are a ton of service success stories too, but now that microservices, this whole idea is the rage, I question if it's the rage just because it's new and these microservices applications have only been around, or these new, new wave of microservices applications have only been around for you know, less than a year or two versus the monorails and large applications that have been around for five years. I question if in, you know, three years, if all this, the people are going to be saying the same thing about microservices that it's impossible to maintain for over the long term, things start falling apart because really it's not, it doesn't have much to do in my mind with actual, are these things separate applications? It has everything to do with where your interface boundaries are and who owns what and how the ownership over that is communicated. Like you can have a single application, it's all boot as a single Rails application or a single Ruby application, but it's actually different people own different aspects of it. And those are very clearly defined and the interfaces and how you operate between them are clearly defined. And if your team and structure is built around that, then in theory that should work just as well as, you know, something where there's like these actual almost physical service boundaries between these applications. To be honest, it all just comes down to people. There's no software problem in my mind that in the end doesn't come down to people when you're dealing with something where you're building something with a group of people. Like, And you can split stuff up into services or split stuff up into multiple applications, whatever it is. But if the people building those applications don't have a clear way to communicate. I agree. So, But to push on that, what's a better setup for a team? If you had a team, what what's more amenable to a medium-sized software team engineering it properly and efficiently like which which one's better and you can choose from the perfectly well-designed wonderfully modular singular monolith or a sensibly decomposed small set of services do you think that one is better or are you or are you just going to say it depends on on the individual people's personalities, no, right? I, 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 what do you to, think in about my that? Mind, in my mind, they're actually the same. Like if you have a well-architected monolith, there's no difference between that and a service-oriented thing. It's just they're deployed differently. And that and that might be the, the thing that makes the difference for your team, like how it's deployed and how it's how it's released as software and how it fits into the product that you're building. Like, I mean, in the end of the day, that's what you're trying to do is build a, most likely is build a product. So if the service oriented thing fits really well into your product, then that's, that works great. But in the end of the day, if you have, and I'm not saying I've achieved this in any place I've ever worked, but if you have like a large monolithic application, but it's architected in a way where the boundaries are clear within that application and people can work on it 
as individuals in different aspects of it or as teams in different aspects of it, then in my mind that's not really different than having the services be separated and into different applications. A very salient thing that you said is about how it fits the product that you're pushing, right? Because like if it's just loading web pages, that's fine. But once you get to a point where there's some component of your system that does more work uh, than other parts, when there are parts of your system where the data that it handles is like considerably more important or precious to you in terms of your business, like you data you can't lose or whatever, I think as soon as you, as soon as those things start to happen, then you're in a situation where you're trying to like have this monolith perform or monorail, we should say, shout out to Jeff Hodges. You know, you try to have your monorail like be uh, fast enough, essentially, right? Or safe enough for a very kind of heterogeneous mix of work. And that's to me when things get really challenging. And that would be, I agree that that's essentially like a business thing, right? Because, you know, so, right. So if you have a Rails application and you like send a lot of email, for example, right? (laughs) And you can't outsource your email and you have to run your own mail servers, then having all of that email stuff inside the monorail is like, after a while, that would get really hard to to do properly. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not, to be clear, I'm not speaking out against services and splitting things up into meaningful applications. Yeah, I'm just putting a finer point on it, that's all. Yeah, yeah, no, and I agree. And it's like, if you work, I mean, and this is, I have experience for saying, and Mike is kind of touching on that, is that when you hit this wall with certain aspects of your application and there is a clear boundary, there is no reason that that shouldn't be a separate service. And in fact, it does make it much easier to do that. But the idea that you can split an entire application into individual services and have clear owners of each individual aspect with all of your logic being separated through all these applications and not having like a central thing, I think is is kind of the fallacy that I'm is hard to wrap my mind around. To bring it back to the magic thing too, we're talking kind of on an infrastructure level and the infrastructure magic of like having either these services work together and appear as a single application or having this main application communicate to other applications but appear as services to developers like it's like it's a similar thing where it's like the magic is there it's just where it exists and where where at what level it exists and it's up to you to the developer or the product owner or whatever it is to to not only know but to accept the trade-offs of what you're doing and where you're where you're finding those magical elements and what we live in a magical time where you know you can run this infrastructure on this virtual hardware that's completely completely devoid of us ever having to plug a cable into anything and you know if that's not magic i don't know what is this is an interesting way to look at it there's magic in the small there's magic in like the medium and then there's magic in the large the prices that we pay for all of the like rails magic they have impact on each of on each of those levels so locally it bothers me because i forget where the magic comes from and i don't always remember that someone else's code that i'm reading 
reaches into the magic bag and uses one of those tricks, right? In the medium, I guess, would be like the, the structure of the project itself and how you kind of have to know, like, for example, if you leave a Rails app for a while and then go back into it and you're trying to change something about a way that your application interacts with any kind of external service, like then API, where does the API key for this third party service that you hit getting loaded in your app, right? If you need to change it, you have to know that this file loads before that file. Okay, I have to look in the initializers and then like look at all the things they load and, and part of that's a tooling problem. And then in the large, the price that you pay is that, you know, all of that magic does add up plainly just harder to operate these applications when they get large, right? It's just like people make a living off of helping other people uh, with, with performance stuff. So, and, and yet still, I think it's pretty much worth it. You know, it is just kind of a double-edged sword where it's just super, I, you know, it's super easy to get burned. Uh, yeah. That's a mixed metaphor, but you know, you can, um, <laughs> it's a flaming hot double-edged sword. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, I mean, I, in other situations, I do enjoy magic in the small, right? And I, and I, and I think that there are, I think that there are languages and ideas and paradigms that make expressibility and readability and that kind of stuff like a real thing. Um, prologue is a really cool example of that where SQL is like, it's not magic, but you know, there's a lot of work that goes into supporting such a, uh, succinct and declarative style of representing something, right? Like SQL is really amazing, right? Like the, you can express anything, right? And the, the, the means by which you're capable of like using that language interchangeably, there's arguably quite a lot of magic going on to, to support that, right? Query planners and all of these things. It's not, it, it's, a, it's very computer science-y, right? Because externally from our world, you wouldn't think that like, yeah, performance is like a thing. If you don't think about it, then it's invalid, right? It's a cool thing to like, I've been hanging out with computer science researchers lately, and it's a cool thing to know that that's like at the core of their values, right? They're like, they won't consider a solution to a problem if it's can only be computed in quadratic time, right? Like they're like, no, that's not, no one's going to ever use that. It's not a satisfactory you know, I still I'm, I, su I still am a supporter of, of Rails. I think it's cool. I have no idea what's going on in Rails 9 or whatever they're up to now, but um, <laughs> I'm sure it's dope. I mean, it's such a large community of contributors. Like, it's fascinating that it works at all, really. I mean, kudos to that team and to all the people that put in the human effort, right? Like, because that's what you were saying. I know you like to take the humane view of things. Um, <laughs> that's the biggest, that's the most impressive thing. I mean, the, the technology is incredible too, but the, the real magic I think is in the like people getting together and believing in it as a thing and like actually working on it and trying to make it better. And there are a lot of people that love question mark methods, for example, right? And think that they're a good thing. And I don't, and so to them, when you stare at it, closely enough, it is actually a, a, an aesthetic question, right? Because like you said, I think everyone would agree that there's a, there's a scale 
And, you know, if you had all of the magic in Rails in a stack, right, and that scale, you know, you would, sh you would take some of it. You know, it's not like I don't want For sure. any of it, yeah. right? So which ones you choose and don't choose is largely a matter of personal taste. I was using it as a straw man for the whole, you know, the whole idea that I want people to remember that there is that scale there. And it's very easy to tip it. And that's kind of the challenging thing about it is you, no one knows how much is too much. It's not a scientific thing that you can really answer. And it's and like you said, it's a personal preference thing, too. And it's it's the act of being aware of it that's probably the most important. Yeah, but I know? mean, I don't... I've seen other community solutions for how to make web applications and I don't, I just don't find them satisfactory. You know, I, I don't think that like choosing a la carte from N different libraries is a good thing for a beginner to have to do. And like having a beginner be able to like write a web application is like pretty phenomenal because it's extremely complicated what goes into it and people want to do it. So we should be able to support them doing it. But I don't want to choose a router, choose a rendering layer. Like, choosing sucks. And, and you know, like, pressing Rails new and getting a thing and editing it. Like, I am pragma even I am pragmatic enough to know that that, win that wins. This baffles a lot of people that I talk to about a lot of this stuff because they read the stuff that I write. And then they're like, why do you want people to use that? I was like, because there's nothing better than it. I just don't think there's anything better than it, period. To think about how much... Even even for Rails, like, and it, I think it's gotten a little more complicated over time, but it's still, like you said, I think better than almost anything else, like or, or anything else. The number of things someone has to learn, even for that, is still kind of dumbfounding, and, and I can't imagine looking at like now, you know, having done this for ten years now, like looking back at that and trying to figure, remember learning that for the first time, and it's like. Most of these people are just learning like what Linux is for the first time too, and Rails and Ruby and database like SQL, like how to work with a database, like all of these things just to do it. And to think that someone is going to like pick something else because it's more performant or slightly more performant is kind of BS too. Like I, I get, I get what you were saying that you know, academics like and people and researchers want to like performance is number one. And maybe Rails isn't the fastest, and it's definitely not as fast as like writing an application in C, obviously, a web application in C. But I think that's what the the creators of Rails thought in the beginning. It's like a trade-off. You're getting you're getting something that's mostly performant for much cheaper in terms of your need to learn and to to research and to get up to speed than anything else. And that's the that's the initial trade-off that you're making. And it's like for more than a majority, that's totally fine. Someone who's coming out of a hacker school or something like that is not going to, their first application or whatever your first startup is not going to need to handle 10,000 requests a second. You know, it's just not like to, to, to wrap it up. Like I had this one anecdote about magic that I thought was really funny. I, I worked at this institution as a freelancer for a little while I went in there and saw the code base and it was a little bit of a mess, but I was like, okay, like I know Rails, I understand this and I'll just, I'll just do whatever they need me to do and help them uh, make some changes to the ticketing system and went in. They were just like, oh, it's just a Rails app, you know, you'll know this. And so then I did a commit, checked it in, and then two minutes later or five minutes later, I got like a, someone walking up to my desk and being like, ticketing is broken. 
And I was like, uh, what? What do you mean ticketing is broken? I mean, I changed something, but I just committed it. I haven't deployed it. And they're like, oh, well, when you commit, two minutes later, a cron job comes around and deploys whatever you commit and not only deploys it to staging, but deploys it to production. So what we normally do is just test everything locally and then eventually, a couple of weeks later, we'll we'll commit it. So we don't commit anything until until we're sure that it works. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is a very very different situation than I'm norm than I'm used to having. And I'm sorry I broke ticketing for this major institution. To me, that really describes this idea of like there's magic everywhere, and no matter what any environment you're working on has magic, but the people who run whatever system or environment you're working on, they're, the trade-offs are there and they've accepted them. And if you're not aware of them, that's, that's usually when you get bit. Whenever I, start, whenever I sit down and think about or talk about this stuff, it definitely gives me pause. I guess in the end, uh, learning how to program, learning how to use a computer and, and doing all that and make it, learning how to make a web application uh, from scratch and never having done any programming like you like before like you said is like a monumental task and it's not our job to tell people that you know don't do that right it's our job I think to make that as easy for them as possible <laughs> there are real human hours and you know people's successes or failures will be you know a result of uh, programming's a, you know, programming community's ability to support people and provide tools at work. And it's just an interesting thing to think about, right? Like on one level, you're talking about just tools and your preferences, but on another level, you're talking about like actual people's experiences. And I know I had a very frustrating time trying to learn all that stuff at the same time. And we kind of lose sight of that sometimes. I, we're lucky to be able to be at the level where we're like having opinions about all of these things because it means we've really come like a really long way and learned a bunch of stuff. For sure. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll be we're keeping up the weekly thing, which I'm very, 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 very proud nice of. Nice work. I don't know, and I don't know how we're doing it, but it's happening. Even though Mike's going away, we'll by the time this airs, he'll actually be back in America. Oh yeah, that's right. So, all right. Thanks a lot for listening, everyone. We really appreciate your feedback. Keep it coming and enjoy the smooth, sweet soul sounds of Tim Maya. See you later. Quem sofre sempre tem que procurar Pelo menos vir achar Razão para viver Ver na vida algum motivo pra sonhar Ter um sonho todo azul Azul da cor do mar